standing and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 this morning is our text, Luke 17, and that is verses 11 through 19. And here's what God's word says. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads one more time and pray and ask the Lord to help us as we engage with his word. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you've given us. Uh, We've been able to sing about it. We've been able to think about it. And one thing that we're thankful for is that you didn't leave us without a means of communication. And yes, we have prayer that we can uh, communicate with you. But Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this word and this text and this uh, incident this morning that we're going to examine. By your Holy Spirit, help us uh, to think along with the text. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us if that's what we need today or encourage us or um, enlighten us. But we we know that uh, it's not just a, a lecture that we have. This is no TED Talk. Lord, this is your word. And we need to respond to it. And we can't do that in our own strength. We need your Holy Spirit's help. So we pray for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When we come to Thanksgiving season, who do we thank? What are we thankful for? What does it mean to say, um, I'm thankful for? I was thinking of a Winston Churchill phrase where he said, there's nothing more exhilarating than to be shot at and missed. And maybe some of us are thankful that we were shot at this year and and whatever it was shooting at us missed. Uh, Other people are thankful for uh, other things. Uh, We go around the table at our house and sometimes at our house on a Thanksgiving, uh, when we do this, we say, the ground rules are this. Uh, You can't say the same thing that somebody else said. So, for instance, the first one that goes, if, if uh, she says, I'm thankful for my husband, the next person, you know, she can say that, or he can say, I'm thankful for my wife, but they have to come up with something else. And it's just to broaden us. The other rule is this. We say, I'm thankful to God for. What are we thankful to the Lord for? And so we come to a Thanksgiving Uh, Sunday, and the hard thing in in preaching a sermon on Thanksgiving is not lack of material in Scripture. 
it's choosing what to speak of because there's so much in here, so many psalms, for instance, that talk about the thanksgiving to God. Um, And so uh, that's the hard part is to say, what's the text? How do we approach thanksgiving? Maybe for some of us on Thanksgiving, there's some pain. Maybe for some of us on Thanksgiving, it's the get-togethers with family that are actually the toughest part of things. Somebody once said to me, I love Thanksgiving for the dinner part of it, but afterwards, uh, the conversations uh, are hard for me, and I want to avoid it. And I was like, okay, so you were talking about politics or something? No, not politics. He said just the grudges, the slights, the thing that somebody did 10 years ago that they can't quite get over and, and, and the little, he said, politics, but interfamily politics are tough for him. Um, we come to Thanksgiving and we say, how do we approach this? This text seemed perfect for this occasion where we have a lot of people who are friends and guests who've been invited and, and you're here and, and it just seemed absolutely the right one to look at. A case in the New Testament where a man was healed and gave thanks. So the setting of this text, it says Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem and he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. What is significant in verse 11 about him being on the way to Jerusalem? Well, the significance is this, and all the Gospels say this several times. Luke says it uh, a few times. Jesus uh, started out not on the way to Jerusalem. He started out in all the towns and the villages. And Jesus would have been what we call in our days, they wouldn't have understood it back then, but Jesus was a rock star. Jesus was playing the arenas. He was a a ticket master, couldn't have handled the tickets that he was trying, uh, that, that people would have wanted to buy for his events. They flooded the place. Uh, miracles such as they'd never seen, teachings such as they'd never heard. Jesus was huge. And then things started to change because Jesus' message, as he began to declare more and more why he was on this earth, what he was born to do, where he was headed. And he started to talk about the suffering of the cross that was to come. And people didn't like that message because it wasn't positive enough. And so you get this whole section in the Gospels where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, Don't locate it as a direct line to Jerusalem. He's on his way there in in time. He's, 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 He's making his way to Jerusalem where there will be a cross that he will go to for the sins of his people. But as he's going there, he's teaching. It becomes a little more intimate. From the arenas to the coffee shops to the living rooms uh, to the firesides uh, to the little villages. And in this case, we catch Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of his people. And he goes into this little village. That's the setting. He's got his disciples with him. He's still got a name out there. And he runs up against this group of people, not against them or into them. They are there and they've heard about him. These people are people who are described as lepers. Uh, There's a skin disease. There's something going on with them. And they cry out to him. So uh, 
first point for us to take and, and, and as we interact with God's text is that Jesus is aware of the needs of people. In this case, these people made him aware of their needs. It says in, in verse 12, As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They stood at a distance because they were required to stand at a distance because uh, there was a contagion that, that was around. These people might have been successful in life, but somehow the leprosy got to them. There's all sorts of things, and you, you'd have to look it up, and, and you could spend time, and people have tried to describe what that leprosy is. Is it like leprosy as we know it today? Is it like it was portrayed in, remember the, I like the Charlton Heston version of Ben-Hur, but there's other, other versions. Was it like that? If you've seen that movie and you see they got it right when it came to the unclean, unclean, they had to cry out. They couldn't interact with society anymore. It's the great leveler, and sometimes pain is the great leveler. I had a friend whose son died as a teenager, and there was another uh, person, he was actually a pastor in our church, who also had a son die as a teenager. And there was a language they could speak to each other because they were part of the club. And they said, it's not a club you want to be part of. These lepers banded together. We know for sure that the the nine people uh, in that day wouldn't have been hanging out with the Samaritan. Uh, There's a whole history of of how the Samaritans and the people uh, there in Judea uh, were at odds with each other. But here's even a Samaritan with their group. They are down and out. They are desperate. They are hurting. And just a reminder to all of us, Jesus is aware of the needs of people. In this case, they cried out, Lord, Master, have mercy on us. Uh, Sometimes uh, in the account, uh, there's, there's this account is in a couple of places, they cried out, Lord, Rabbi, have mercy on us. Lord, and they give other descriptors. But there's a submission and an acknowledgement that they are unable to help themselves, but they think and they hope that Jesus, who is allegedly uh, has healed other lepers, will heal them. And Jesus hears that. Help. So a personal application right here is you may not uh, be battling leprosy. That might not be your thing. Uh, but whatever it is you're battling. In my prayer, did you hear? We, we try and pray this prayer because there's three or four areas that we have in life. There's a physical area, and, and, and some of us, as Grandma used to say, it's no fun getting old. And some of us, as we get old, we find little things, or we go to the doctor, we find this, and health is a, is a, is a, a, a major concern. Finances are a major concern. They are. Uh, we think, do I have enough saved up for retirement. Some of us don't even think about that. Do I have a job? Do I have this? And we worry about these things. And, and, and events can come along and just wipe us out and wipe people out in a day. People are worried about their relationships. There's stuff because we are human. We have a need for an outside force to help us in those issues. And they cried out. They had a need. They cried out. Help us. Second observation, second point. Jesus responds to the needs of people. He does not have to. 
There's no magic formula. If you get the words right. Oh, it says here they said Jesus Master. Okay, if I say Jesus Master, help us. He has to help me because he helped them. And it's not a matter of getting words right or approaching Jesus and getting it just... uh, Boy, we have a record of Jesus helping people all the way through Scripture. Jesus is going through a little town. He sees a, a, a funeral procession happening. He doesn't say, man, this is slowing me down. All these cars with their lights on. I got a place to go. I got to cut in line. No, he stops the funeral procession and he has compassion on the woman who's a widow, who's lost her son, which is basically her income and her emotional, and he, he raises that son. Uh, the Bible talks about, we, we know and we've heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Do you know what led into that? They all gather to hear him. This is back in the big days. And they gather to hear him. And Jesus looked at them. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There's a, a compassion. There's Jesus seeing what's needed. And, and, and Jesus knows the needs of people. And, and, and Jesus' record is very good at helping people in their needs. One other one I had written down. Um, You've heard of the story or the incident. I hate to say story because then you think it's not true, uh, perhaps. Uh, the incident of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And, and in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, as it records it, says Jesus, looking at him, loved him and dealt with him. So we know that Jesus is aware of the needs of people. They cry out to him. He responds to the needs of people. It's not a formula, and yet we see Jesus as compassionate. Now, premise for this message. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I'm preaching this from a biblical, traditional biblical perspective, which is what the Bible says about Jesus. He's God. We confess he's very God of very God. This is God in the flesh. Jesus coming and taking on flesh uh, to live and to live that perfect sinless life so he could be the sacrifice for us. And so when I'm talking about Jesus here, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus together. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What kind of God is God to people who are in need? Psalm 146 The psalmist says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise God as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He goes on to say, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed are you if you are hoping in God and if your help is God, you're going to be okay. If you're leaning on God, if God's helping you. It says, God who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. And here's all this list of things that God does for people. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. You don't have to take a class 
to learn how you can manipulate God. God can't be manipulated, but God is a God who hears the needs of his people, and God is a God who responds and is powerful and and will respond to the needs of his people. So Jesus, uh, they called out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. All of a sudden, whatever was going on with the leprosy, uh, maybe it was as much as digits were falling off of their their, their bodies and their nose was eaten away. Maybe it was just a, a simple skin disease that had them isolated for a while. At any rate, whatever was going on that had them isolated, that had them in need of mercy, was healed. What does he mean when he says, go show yourself to the priests? Now, I automatically think of either a priest in an Episcopal or a Catholic church and that kind of a priest. Uh, that, was, that wasn't around at that point. He's talking about the Old Testament priests. This goes back to the Old Testament times when God led his people out. And in the book of Leviticus, uh, if somebody had this skin disease, they had to go and, and, and uh, if they were healed of it, it was the priest who looked at them and examined them. You can find that in Leviticus 14 if you want to, on, on your own, take a look at it. But 14, verses 2 through 32, here's just a couple of verses. This is, this is a point of reference for why Jesus said this. Leviticus 14, 2. This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, etc., 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 they got restored. Uh, there was a lot of people back then. Medicine wasn't what it was. Uh, there's a lot of dietary laws and things we see there for God's people as he was leading them out and forming a nation that they did and they had to do because things couldn't uh, sweep through them and God was protecting his people. So one reason why they had to be isolated was because it couldn't infect all of the people. And then when they were restored, they got restored to the people. So that's what's going on when he says, go show yourself to the priest. That's part of what's going on. The other part we're going to get to in the conclusion of the sermon. But that's part of what's going on where they had to be physically healthy and well. These people were physically healed by Jesus' hand. And they were on their way to being restored into society. They had their religion back. They could go back to their uh, tabernacle, their, their temple and synagogues, and they could have their religion back. They could be restored. They didn't have to stand at a distance anymore. And that's good. But you know, that wasn't the pressing need, and that's not the pressing need that any of us have. You want to come and share your needs with me? Man, I'll share some needs with you. We can pray. Um, I'll weep with you when the time comes. You weep with me. We rejoice, we rejoice, and there's this surface level of life that we live on. But that's not your greatest need, and it's not my greatest need, is to have everything provided here. There is something spiritual that's going on, and, and, and we are spiritual people as well as physical people. And that's what the text is pointing to. I think now, I was going to do it at the end, but now I'll even direct you to the food for thought page on the inside of our folder. Because I saw this and I said, that is absolutely what we all need to be reminded of. 
Quote, thus it is that we have two diametrically opposed visions of life. There's two diametrically opposed visions of life. In the one, there is no center. In the other, there is, and it is Christ. In the one, life is but a succession of random events. In the other, life is lived out under the sovereign rule of Christ. In the one, we are alone in the cosmos. In the other, we are not. In the one, salvation is humanly managed. In the other, it is divinely given. Christianity best flourishes when the sharpness of these opposing views is preserved, and it becomes sickened when it is not. There is a world, and people have a way of interpreting the world. And they say, I was a leper, Jesus has healed me, I'm going back to to church, the priest is going to look at me, and now all's right with the world. But all is not right with the world. All's right in that compartment of the world. But there's something going on. We are made to be spiritual people. And when we die, we don't just die, and that's it, except for our legacy or whatever. Uh, There is a relationship with God through Jesus, and it's told throughout scriptures, and this is just being one of them. So what happened? There was a distinction. Something happened. One of them turned around and had a personal interaction with Jesus. What does it say? It said starting route to 42 Hinehill Road. And he'll be here at some point. He's got to hop in the TARDIS and get here through, uh, through, through, through uh, time travel. But he'll be here. That was great. And we're happy, man. That was good. Thank you for that. What does it say? What happened? It says that he saw he was healed, and he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And in verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And there was something that happened with one of them that didn't happen with the other nine. Something happened with all ten. They were outcasts. They needed God. And God, uh, through Jesus, healed them. But something happened with this one where he ended up on his face before God. And that's where I hope Thanksgiving season leads all of us. Jesus pronounced him to be saved, to be right with God. Jesus looked at him and he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is in distinction to the other nine. He's already made them well. This is a different kind of wellness that Jesus is talking about after his personal interaction with this one. Doesn't mean that the others later on didn't receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, boy, they were happy. They needed to get on with life. They needed to go back and, and give that wife a hug. They needed to go back and, and get back to see if they still got their job. They needed to get, get back into society. They needed to do their thing. And, and, and a lot of us would have been like that. I can sympathize with that. Um, and who knows, as they thought about it and they heard the events of Jesus dying and later on they heard the events of Jesus rising and they heard this Christianity thing. And, and for all we know, because the Bible doesn't tell us, maybe all nine of them also uh, became, uh, to use the old language I grew up in, got saved, got right with God, uh, had their sins forgiven. But in this case, at this time, there's one that did for sure. 
He's the one who turned around. And he gave thanks, but he fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, his faith has made him well. Or another way to translate that is, his faith has saved him. Back in Luke chapter 7, same writer of of this gospel used that word that we see uh, where Jesus said his faith has made him well. Uh, It's translated in another text, the faith saved him. This is the woman, remember, who broke the the vial and and anointed Jesus' feet uh, for burial. And and, uh, and listen, listen to what Jesus said about this woman using the same language that he used with this leper. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He said to the leper, uh, your, your faith has made you well. Same phrase. Jesus is not talking just about healing uh, from leprosy. He's not talking about mending relationships. He's not talking about helping you overcome what fears. He's talking about salvation. And thanksgiving led to salvation. A rightness with God. There are two kinds of people in this world, and we know there are two kinds of people in this world because when it's all sorted out at the very end of time, the Bible talks about this judgment seat, and Jesus sorts them into two kinds of people, and that's it. Not men and women. Not six feet and over and six feet and under. Not uh, St. Louis Cardinals fans and everybody else, although that's kind of how I am tempted to sort people. Um, But uh, Jesus sorts them into two kinds of people. Those who are right with God, who've had their sins forgiven, who have an eternity in heaven, and those who are not right with God, who are trying to live in this world and make it themselves. And, And anything else can fill in for God. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has saved you or made you well. So how do we wrap this up? Back in Iowa, we'd have these Sunday night service, back in the Baptist church in Iowa. And every Sunday night, like jello night, and then all these, all these farmers' wives and people, they'd make this jello. And you've never seen such different kinds of jello as you see in the Midwest on jello night. Uh, some nights in the summer, it was ice cream night, and people would bring their homemade ice cream makers, and some were known for their peach ice cream, and some for the strawberry and all that. But I, I remember one night as a little kid, and the pastor's up there preaching on a Sunday night, all of a sudden he stopped and he said, man, that coffee smells really good, doesn't it? Let's wrap this up. We're not going to rush to wrap this up. I can't wait to get to the turkey, but I'm not going to speed through. We're going to have a conclusion because we've got to, because you need this more than you need that. But boy, Ted's turkey does smell really good. I'll say that. Listen, what do you do with a text like this in a season like this where you're at in your life right now? Well, the first thing I would say is what I've already said. Call out to God with what you need. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, if all we do with a text like this and a sermon like this is say, be thankful. Well, we all know that. We should all be thankful. We should all be more thankful. I know that. I know I'm not thankful enough. It's more than just be thankful. 
It's more than just counting our blessings when we wake up in the middle of the night and instead of counting sheep, like that old Bing Crosby song said. If we stop with just be thankful or be more thankful, we're missing the point of the text. Yes, be thankful. Of course. But a major reason why this incident is included in the Bible is to remind us once again that Jesus is the healer and Jesus is the Savior. Be thankful to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Fall on your face before Jesus. Look at Jesus as the one uh, who, who is, is the only solution to your desperate need. Back to that Old Testament requirement that people couldn't participate in the worship because uh, there, there was imperfection. One reason was the health reason that I shared with you. One reason is God was teaching his people and teaching us that you must be perfect to have a relationship with God. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. They had to go as lepers and be examined for their perfection. And you go, man, I'm out of here because I can't be perfect. I know some of you in this congregation quite well. We've known each other for years. You know me quite well. And the one thing we would never say about each other is, he's perfect or she's perfect. Um, You get to know us long enough, you see more and more imperfections. So what does it mean, be perfect? Some of you I will get to meet afterwards, and I can't wait. I'm excited to to meet, to find out who you are and, and, and how we can... Uh, talk, how I can pray for you. You've got stories to tell that are interesting. It's going to be great. But I can tell you this about you already, and I'll tell you this about me already. It's, you already know it. Uh, we're not perfect. But the Bible says be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Those lepers had to go show themselves before they could even enter into the assembly. Perfect. So what do we do with that? We're nowhere near the perfection that God requires. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. doesn't matter who's closer to perfect. Uh, none of us are perfect. We need Jesus. We need Jesus uh, uh, with these temporary needs, but we need Jesus for even more than that. And the text is telling us you need Jesus not just for your version of leprosy, Repentance and faith, an honest assessment of ourselves in relationship to God, and an honest assessment of Jesus as our perfect substitute, the atonement. The old theologians would say there there are two sides of the same coin, uh, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith accompany each other. If you just repented and you said, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm a sinner, what would you do? You'd just beat yourself up. Whatever your version of guilt is, you call it Presbyterian guilt if you're Presbyterian, you call it Baptist guilt or uh, Catholic guilt, whatever your guilt is, and you could just be made to feel guilty all the time. That's repentance uh, without faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus for what? Faith without repentance uh, gets you nothing. That's just positive cheering on Jesus, and you're, you're buying the tickets for the arena, but you're not going with Jesus uh, uh, and letting him be your Savior who died on the cross for your sins. We've got to have both, and that's the healing we need. And that's what I hope Thanksgiving brings us to. So I would advise you to begin with, during this Thanksgiving season, begin with thanks, but let that lead to a prayerful conversation with God and look for Jesus as uh, 
the one who can also heal your soul and forgive your sins and be your substitute. Closing illustration. There were parents who loved their kid. And they loved their kids, but boy, this kid was giving them fits. And this kid was shaking his or her fist, we'll say his just to, to say it. Kid was shaking his fist at everything they tried to teach them. Brought these kids to church, and this one rejected, 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 smarter than, smarter than, smarter than the parents, smarter than the pastor, smarter than God, smarter than the Bible, making his own way. And the pastor, and then they came and they said, Can you pray? And of course, it's amazing how parents pray for kids and grandkids. These parents are praying. And the pastor said to them in this case, are you willing to pray that God would do whatever it takes to bring this person back to him? They said, whatever it takes? (laughs) Whatever it takes. God, we know that there's something that's not right. God, will you do whatever it takes? And one of the parents said, I don't think I can do that because this parent was thinking paraplegic, (laughs) was thinking rock bottom and all that. And the pastor pointed out and said, even that, if the soul is right. But he says, what what about God just blessing the person so much, paving the way, loving the person being there, so good that, and they say, I don't deserve this because I know myself, but God is so good. God, in thanksgiving, I come to you and I say, there's got to be some something, and you turn to God that way. I would say at Thanksgiving, that's a good time for you if you're not in a, uh, in a spiritual position yet to say, God, what have you blessed me with? Why are you doing this? I want to know more about you and, and see if you're not like this one Samaritan who turned around, fell on his feet, had the intimate conversation with God, submitted himself in his, in his now healed body, and, and Jesus said, now go your way. Your faith has saved you. This is a good time of year to turn to the one who can save us. I would say as we go to the table, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Be grateful for what he's done for you, but wonder and, and, and seek out and, and celebrate what he's done for you spiritually Uh, which is far more important even than physically. Let's pray and close. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for all 10 of these men. And we know they represent uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people that were physically uh, even healed and restored to sight and fed and taken care of by Jesus when he was on earth. But more than that, Lord, we thank you for the spiritual relationship. We thank you that the same Jesus who healed them would then go to the cross. And for this one, and and for all who came to know him and and, and repent and put their faith in him, that he died for this man's sins. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a right relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we uh, can count on that and that we have that. And thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.